pickaxe. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. You just you just joined us while we were trying to work out what we're playing. Um, we're playing Puyo Puyo. Why can't I say Puyo Puyo Tetris? We are a radio show back in London, which is why we're easily confused by things on video and very distracting. And we're here to report on GDC, the Games Developers Conference. Yes, we are. Um, I spent a lot of time today uh, walking around the expo and it was excellent fun. I saw some really, really great games. Um, went to the alt control booth, went and found out everything you could possibly need to know about blockchain. Mm. Um, Wait. Everything. Back up. Yeah. So so what is this? This, this is the hottest new trend. Yeah. Uh, so I found out that actually... Uh, it's just money stuff. It's just money. It's just stuff. money stuff. Yeah. It's just money stuff. Um, but like fake money stuff. Fake money stuff. Yeah. Uh, no, it's money stuff with consensus, and that's what's important. Wait, consensus. how do you spell consensus? Is this consensus? Well, that, I guess we get to coin? decide, right? Enough. <laughs> we're one left left. He's Garma Sutra, and we're broadcasting live from GDC 2018. You might be listening to us on Resonance 104.4 FM back in London. You might be watching us on the Gama Sutra Twitch stream, or maybe you're just in this room hanging out with us. And if you are, welcome. <laughs> uh, we're a radio show about video games. We come out to GDC to learn about video games from the people who make them. And you're going to join us on this journey, aren't you, Chris? I am. I actually uh, remembered to show up at the right time. <laughs> <laughs> you did, you did, but you do have to leave early, so I hope I you, do. I hope you're going to make the most of this and close your laptop. I'm tweeting about this, this uh, live stream right now. <laughs> Always thinking. Um, so for the next uh, hour and a half, yeah. or hour if you're listening on the radio, we're going to have a brilliant selection of guests. We've got eight, yeah. eight guests. Eight guests. Eight, 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 guests. eight uh, guests. All of them incredibly interesting. They all have very varied, different perspectives on games. We're going to learn so much today. Promise. I Yesterday promise. was a very, very good show. I I'm know. a bit worried about it because usually we, you know, we sort of peak yeah. around about Friday after we finish. Yeah, yeah. Tuesday, that's super early. Hitting, hitting the peak on Tuesday does mean that um, we've set the bar too early. No, I've seen our list of guests and I think we are going to go over the bar. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Um, please stay with us. Please. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to One Life Left at GDC with Gamma Sutra. Uh, we are joined on the sofa by our very first guest of Wednesday at GDC 2018. Uh, it's Jennifer Hazel. Hello. Hello, Jenny. How are you? <laughs> I'm really good, thanks. How yeah, are you? Really good, thank you. Yeah, have you had a good day at GDC today? Yeah, today's been the best. I, I made it out of bed before midday. So amazing, strong, amazing. Good story. Strong achievement. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have any talks to do, so I actually got <laughs> to like go uh, enjoy was, myself. Why was getting out of bed before midday an achievement? What were you up to last night? 
Uh, I stayed in my hotel room. I ordered mm. room service. Okay. Oh. I watched Family Guy, and, and then, then I watched Rick and Morty, and, then and I fell asleep before 10 p.m. Perfect. Absolutely. It was perfect. the best. Wild <laughs> uh, Jenny, could you perhaps... Introduce yourself to oh, our yeah. viewers and listeners. <laughs> you might be wondering, who is this woman who's living the best life? <laughs> <laughs> I am my best self at yeah. present. Um, uh, my name's Dr. Jennifer Hazel. I am a medical doctor that specialises in psychiatry, and I founded a non-profit organisation called Checkpoint that provides mental health resources for the gaming community. Amazing. And you've been doing a lot. You're doing a lot at GDC <laughs> yeah. this year. I was just looking through your talks, and you've got several. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had two. I had two talks, and then we um, were lucky enough to be selected for the film festival. Amazing. So we screened uh, a feature-length version of the Checkpoint series, which is a, a web series we've created tackling these kind of relevant issues. That's brilliant. So what um, you've done? How many of you? You've it's done, all done. You've done all of them. So what were your talks? Uh, the first one was um, an evidence-based model for mental health care in game development. Um, so it's something we pioneered specifically for devs to try and uh, encourage them to take some autonomy, to learn some self-care techniques and to integrate them into their routine. Uh, we call it the AAA model because we're I'm, I'm so witty. <laughs> it's, so uh, does, does AAA it doesn't go stand down. for something in this? Um, audit, accept, act. Okay. Yeah, so it, well, yeah, it was relevant and uh, it kind of happened by So thing. what's the AAA model? Uh, so we, we teach people um, different psychological techniques they're all evidence-based and it's just a little bit from here and there and everywhere to educate people about the different things to be aware of within themselves how you think how you're feeling and what behaviors you do your coping mechanisms whether they're adaptive or maladaptive um, and then how to kind of just be okay with that because we're all human we, we all have good days and bad days and accepting that sort of um, level of, 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 of self is really important. And then how to move on and, and modify the things that can be improved in really quick, tangible ways. Um, and I did it as a half hour talk that overran and they didn't like come in and scream <laughs> for me to get out the room. So I think that's a pretty good, I imagine uh, a pretty good thing. One of the things that I've certainly witnessed in the games industry, one of the most dangerous things that I guess you've seen is does it start with a C and does it end with a runch? Well, what I was going to say is not just uh, crunch, but pride in crunch. Mm. Because, you know, I, I, I'm joking about the fact, I'm not joking, I, I literally didn't eat today, but I'm aware that that is a bad thing and that you know, I'm very lucky to have Ban. You are very lucky to have me. In many ways. Uh, but the what I've seen is um, even amongst indies saying, yeah, oh, I've been working really, really hard on my game. I've not slept for a very, very long time. And combating that uh, that belief that producing a work requires yeah. you to sacrifice yourself yeah, yeah, yeah. is is a Ta tackling crunch culture. I actually I actually lean on Gamma Sutra for this one because the, a couple of years ago, um, you guys did a, a fantastic study that proved without any shadow of a doubt that not only is crunch harmful but it actually doesn't work mm. whenever it's used in a mandatory way after a few weeks it leads to less successful games so games actually reduce their profitability if you enforce crunch in your employees which makes sense because crunch induces burnout burnout is contagious you know as one person is burned out they're not picking up their own slack someone else has to do it they get burned out it goes further and further and in the end no one's being productive anymore mm. so and when you say it like that it's so obvious but of course there is a cultural barrier that you have to you have to overcome and i, I always I always cite that research because you know it's one yeah, thing there was for a me series to say by um, his name escapes me um, I remember either it's bad, know. isn't it? Yeah, but it's really good and you should try to find it. Maybe we'll write that up in the show notes so anyone can look into that and find it for themselves yeah. if they want. Oh, it's, one, it's wonderful. Yeah, well, it, val yeah, it validates our, you know, uh, our yeah. preachings. Yeah, it, it was like from like, it's like a four-part series and just talking yeah. to developers yep. and then just um, and just the main qu like answering all these questions about crunch and it was just like, no, it actually hurts. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was called Crunch Hurts. Mm. Crunch Hurts. <laughs> <laughs> crunch Hurts. Uh, and so your, uh, your other talk was talking about community and yes. boundaries. Yes. Yeah, so can you tell us a bit more about that? Uh, so it was called Managing the Mental Health of Your Community, Where's the Line? 
um, and it was on the community management summit, which I believe was the, the first time that that summit's run. Uh, and it was all about um, when you're dealing with consumers, where do your obligations towards them end? And trying to empower community managers to know where that boundary is um, and to stick to it and to have the courage to do that and to know that it's okay to do that, like you are looking after yourself. Um, so that that was that was more fun. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's you know it's still a, a deep to- topic, but it, it's that was that was a lot more audience engaged and a, a, a lot more more entertaining, I think. And yeah, I'm yeah. able to tell a few jokes. <laughs> <laughs> What's your best joke? Whatever. All right, I've got one. Okay. It's a bit long though. <laughs> well, we got time. We got time. Yeah. Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader are fighting with mm-hmm. lightsabers of course because that's what they do and um, Darth Vader leans into Luke and he says I know what you're getting for Christmas and Luke's like how? how how can you know what I'm getting for Christmas and Darth Vader leans in and he says I felt your presence <laughs> solidly contract you, you've done nothing wrong there I'm so <laughs> sorry to everyone <laughs> It's great. So what's the That's rest of the week going to be like for way. you? Uh, IGF Awards tonight. Okay. Always a good time. Um, Any, are you supporting anyone in particular? Uh, well, uh, Night in the Woods is up for six awards. Mm-hmm. Um, one of their, their co-developers, Alec Holoka, mm-hmm. I always say his surname wrong, um, he was on the Checkpoint series advocating for mental health by sharing his lived experience, and they're also very good friends, so I highly uh, support everything that they do and the game features mental health issues in a really empathetic and constructive way so that's something that I get on board with Hellblade is the other one because it's the best game ever of course Uh, well thank you so much and have a fantastic rest of your week thank you alright we are back One Life Left and Gama Sutra at GDC. You That's always it. make eye contact with me when you're speaking as if for approval. Yeah, I want you to stop me if I'm get, getting the order wrong, if I'm pronouncing the name of my Oops. website wrong. <laughs> Gamstura. <laughs> Gamaustra. As we missed the type sometimes, but uh, didn't now we, we're back, yeah. Didn't we just find out who, so we spoke about the Crunch articles and we just found out yes, who we were Yes, we did. It was the, uh, um, it's called the Games Outcomes Project and it's a series by Paul Tozer, so um, you can look that up and then we'll add that in the, the description when we put this archive up on gamstura.com. <laughs> Perfect intro. Oh, we've got two new guests on the sofa right now, seamlessly brought in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Laura and Asama, do you want to introduce yourself, explain about Absolutely. what you do? Do you want to go first? Sure. Um, so my name is Laura Bularka. Uh, I am a conference organizer and an indie game developer by day and an indie indie game developer by night. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, <laughs> Meta indie. <laughs> and I also take care of cats. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah, that's kind of me. That's a lot. <laughs> uh, my name is Osama Dorias. I'm a senior game designer at Warner Brother Games in Montreal, WB Games. I'm also the coordinator of the video game programs at Dawson College. And I'm also the co-founder of the Montreal Independent Games Festival. Right, so everyone has loads That's of also a lot. It's really a lot. It's quite competitive. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um, so let's start with you, Lara. Um, last time I saw you, you had just put your video game on early access. Uh, and it's an interesting game, isn't it? I mean, obviously you're not going to go, no, it's terrible. It's <laughs> but it's a, it's a game with an interesting political uh, start point, isn't it? Yeah, we've been called uh, Social Justice Warrior Simulator, uh, okay. which, which, which was great, actually. I, I, I really like the, the thing. And my game is called Hard Papers Border, and it's actually an optimistic strategy game about traveling freedom and changing the world. What I'm really enjoying is when we ask people about their games, at this point in GDC, they have their single line yeah. sort of thing. <laughs> the elevator yeah. pitch. Optimistic <laughs> is an interesting word to put in uh, a video game pitch line. Yeah, um, and there's a lot of people who ask me about that. So, mm-hmm. and it is actually one of my core beliefs that we have way too many games about destruction and killing and stuff like that. I want to play optimistic games. I want to play games that really make me think about a better world, uh, you know, about a, about a better future. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, since there aren't that many optimistic games out there, I'm making one. <laughs> okay. And the game is called 
hot papers border. Yeah. Yes. So uh, the name, uh, yeah, it took a while to figure out the name. Uh, and it does have uh, inspiration from Papers, Please. So it's like an optimistic Papers, Please. Uh, <laughs> Play Papers, Please. Oh, just that's, an even yeah. Yeah. that's an even shorter elevator. Optimistic <laughs> <laughs> Papers, Please. Uh, but the heart is because your heart wants to travel. But in order to travel, you need papers to cross the border. Mm-hmm. That's the explanation of the title. So what yeah. makes it optimistic then? Uh, what makes it optimistic? So nothing wrong can happen to you. Mm. And uh, it's, it's my game, so uh, you, nothing bad can happen to you, and you get to live until you are 150 years old. Mm. That's that, very optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> but what about the quality of life? It's <laughs> like 80 years or so. <laughs> no, also, also there's universal basic income. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's not like it is a strategy game because you have a map, and actually the map looks like a heart, and it has two uh, lake bodies uh, inside the heart which are actually our world, so it's our world in reverse. Um, And it has 26 countries. And when you start a game, you kind of start a game with a passport, uh, and you can play the tutorial mode, in which case you get spawned in a pretty fine country. But if you use uh, the uh, free roaming uh, version, you get to play easy, medium, or hard, and you get to be spawned in a country that's easy to live in, mediumly easy to live in, or hard to live in. And spoiler spoiler alert, from all the 26 countries that we have in the game, 25 are inspired by real-world countries. And we have even countries like Vietso, which is Soviet, uh, Kernotora, which is North Korea. (laughs) We have the UK, we have Germany, we have Sweden. uh, And it's a little bit of a um, hyperbole slash uh, satire. Of, uh, of have, the we, real. have we Brexited in your game? Oh well, uh, I'm, uh, you, you, you might have. <laughs> Doesn't sound very optimistic to me. Um, okay, Asami, you're here to talk, aren't you, at GDC? Yes, I am. Uh, I have a roundtable tomorrow, and I have a talk at 2 p.m. Okay. Um, the roundtable is um, presented by the IGDA. It's oh. about uh, Muslims and games, and okay. uh, it's because we want to establish a special interest group with the IGDA. I mean. It's a long time coming. There are a lot of really great uh, uh, special interest groups that exist. Mm-hmm. Muslims haven't had one yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the talk is actually not geared towards Muslims, uh, but they're more than welcome. It's <laughs> it's a how to how to guide for Muslim representation in video games. So for a lot of developers, they they want to include uh, Muslims, and uh, uh, we need to be in games. But a lot of people are afraid that they're going to offend us or that they're going to do things the wrong way. Mm-hmm. So this is just a you know what to do and what not to do in a very compact size so people can feel confident to include us uh, more games are doing it now and it's really good but hopefully we'll expand even more on that do you have uh, any what's the top number one thing someone could do put us in the game to start <laughs> <laughs> um, we're like the biggest problem that we have is that we're invisible the mm-hmm. second biggest is that when we're not invisible we're like cannon fodder and we're caricatures we're not actually characters um, so put us in the game step one and like that'd be great even if our characters are uh, flawed and fallible that's totally okay we are flawed and we are fallible you know just make us people and that'd be great and if you do include us in uh treat us the same as you would any other character so if you don't mention the religion of anyone in your games and you don't have to actually it's preferable not to mention that we're muslim just have us there and have us be normal and if no other character in the game has a violent past or links to any unfavorable associations then treat us that way as well uh if you could make us good guys it'd be even better (laughs) but even if we're just neutral bystanders or whatever that'd be great so that's like a very simplified version of it uh that we i go into a lot more details and i show examples of what to do and what not to do but you know that's the major one if you you listen to this you don't actually have to come to the talk but please come in (laughs) no i'm sure that i'm sure there's more i'm wondering i'm wondering if there are any um like uh some popular games that have positive yes, examples. Yes, actually. Uh, I wouldn't say that there are many, but I would say uh, Blizzard does a great job uh, because it includes 
two characters from a Muslim uh, majority country, Anna and Farah, and they don't mention the religions of the characters, which is actually on par with all the other characters, so that's great. Uh, Street Fighter does that as well. It has characters from Turkey, for example, or Saudi Arabia, also not mentioning their religion, which is great as well. Uh, I play a game, uh, I forget what it's called. I think it's called Good Pizza. I just started playing it on the oh, flights here. Um, and I think I might, they, they might be speaking here. Anyway, yeah, yeah, uh, well, I, think, I think they are. They did a, uh, it surprised me. There was just a woman in hijab who ordered pizza for me, and nothing was mm -hmm. mentioned. She was just there in the background. Mm -hmm. Just wants pizza. Just, just like, like pizza. Just like everyone else. <laughs> exactly. So those are some good examples. And there are a few other small indie games that do that as well. Yeah. Uh, games like The Sims that give you uh, character customization options, like different skin tones and different eye colors and yeah. whatever it is, uh, as well as um, different clothing options from different cultures around the world. So you could represent yourself from almost anywhere mm -hmm. and they expanded on that so that's great as well um, there are a lot of games that are well I would again I wouldn't say a lot but there are more games than 10 years ago that would do that. so so the ones that are getting it right they're just magically accidentally getting it right, right? I don't think so actually yeah. uh, I figure is, not there's probably somebody yeah. <laughs> who's there that's you know yes. knows what they're doing and they're listening yes yeah. exactly I think that they have to be consulting with someone or they have to have Muslims as part of their team whatever it is I'm, I'm not sure I'm not privy to that information uh, but I don't think it was accidental and if it was well it was a happy accident and you know we mm -hmm. shouldn't aim for that right mm -hmm. we can talk about like how um, important visible Muslim representation is as characters in video games but it's also important in development yes as absolutely well, absolutely just like any other marginalized group mm -hmm. right you're not going to get uh, a good idea of how they want to be represented unless you speak to them and if you are them or a part of you is them then you know you cut out the middleman right mm -hmm. uh, but I mean what's missing right now um, are and I mean everything's missing but what's really missing is stories told by Muslims other medias have that uh, I'm not expecting anyone who's not Muslim to do that mm -hmm. that's a, that's on us and hopefully it'll spread out more but for example uh, there's uh, Miss Marvel uh, Kamala Khan it's from comics it's not from uh, video games uh, I relate to the character a lot even though she's Pakistani mm -hmm. and even though she's a woman and she's a teenager but her experience growing up in the West is actually eerily similar to mine mm -hmm. and it's authentic because uh, two of the creators that created are Muslim they're two Muslim women and they wrote her story so that's a, and it's wildly successful because there's almost nothing like it across any medium so I mean that's what we're missing there's a big market for it uh, and there are a lot of Muslims who are consuming this content we don't really have that yet in games so how I'm important is something like GDC uh, to connect you and others together it's uh, crucial I mean so far every single person I've spoken to hasn't been encouraging me mm -hmm. I think like I said the people who don't represent us, it's not out of any ill will at all. I know it's not. I mean, sure. I work with these people, they're my peers, and they're beautiful souls. They just don't know how to approach this. And it is a sensitive topic, and I don't blame them at all. So, for now, I have access to them, and that is beautiful. Actually, in my game as well. I, me, personally? <laughs> not you, uh, but I do have uh, Saudi Arabia and Turkey and um, uh, India, actually. Uh, wow, and, I was going to play your game anyway. I'm definitely <laughs> going to play your game. I'm particularly interested but because in my game you can travel from country to country and you visit uh, landmarks in that country. So I do a lot of research of what can be visited. And I also want stories that are very regional, very local. Like, for example, in Sweden, you have a story that you have to sit in line for Sistambulaget, which is the alcohol monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I really actively search for these Thank kind of things. Thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> so that's great. So you're doing your, uh, your talk and your panel is tomorrow? Uh, it's, it's a roundtable and a talk. They're oh, both tomorrow. Great. Uh, and so uh, what else are you looking for from this week? just to connect with my peers I mean this is not my first GDC I love coming to GDC and my favorite part I love going to talks as well talks are very important but what I love most is to go to dinner or lunch or breakfast oh I love all of those too. exactly <laughs> anything that involves food <laughs> and good company at the further oh I think the nicest devs I've met so far have mostly been from Australia I don't think I've ever met anyone from Australia I didn't love so just that connecting with people who are like me but who are so not like me in other ways uh, that, that's amazing bridging gaps and we learn from each other um, what ends up often happening is Montreal is a hub for video games uh, we have about 8,000 to 9,000 jobs it's really like disproportionately big uh, but uh, there are studios there and there's a studio culture that kind of propagated there's a, like the first studios that started there had one way of thinking and one way of doing which was it, it worked we've been releasing good games 
but people who come from outside the city and uh, like are always introducing new ways to think and new ways to make games and that just makes our games better so gdc kind of fast forwards that mm -hmm. once a year and other conferences as well but especially gdc because it is the biggest one right laura what are you going to be doing the rest of the week um oh uh, i have a few meetings uh but Everyone also has yeah. meetings all the time. <laughs> But also talks and networking, and of course, uh, you know, lunches and parties and Food. getting together. Yeah. <laughs> and obviously, the biggest question that everyone wants to know is who's looking after your cats? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, there is a something called a game dev cat group on Facebook. I never wanted Go to get on. into game development before. <laughs> <laughs> But it's always, this is the problem, like, uh, especially in uh, cities who are mm -hmm. very game dev heavy, it's not a problem to find somebody to take care of your cat uh, for smaller events, because someone is always home, but for GDC, everyone is here, mm -hmm. so every the game cat developer cat suffers. <laughs> <laughs> so we need a cat crash at GDC. Yeah, yeah something like that. Brilliant. Okay, thank you both so much for coming. Thank you for having us. The rest of the week. Thank, thank you. Welcome back to One Life Left at GDC 2018. We were with Garma Sutra, I mean literally with Garma Sutra, they were there. Uh, but he's gone to get changed. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought we were just going to hear the shower start No, no, no he's, he's opted out of uh, Yes, yeah, so Chris has got to go and get changed for the, uh, the awards. IGF Awards, which are tonight. We've already talked yeah. about that, uh, which is exciting. Yeah, but we are here. We're here. We aren't leaving. We're not ever. ever. <laughs> uh, we'll be entering the 15th week of GDC uh, shortly. Yeah, it does, feel, it does feel like more than Wednesday, doesn't it, already? Anyway, the, thing, the only thing that's keeping me going so far has been our brilliant guest so far. Yes. Two more. Two more. We've, got, <laughs> we've got Will and we've got Emily. Um, could you just introduce yourself to the mics, to Twitch, uh, explain a bit about who you are and what you do? Will, you go Great first. <laughs> hey, uh, my name is Will Porter. I'm a writer on uh, games like I wrote on uh, Alien Isolation and uh, the original uh, release of No Man's Sky. And I also do my own zombie game, Project Zomboid, that's been going on for a long time. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm out here because a lot of our contractors work on Zomboid. They're all around the world, and uh, so it's been good to actually meet them face to face and buy them a drink as opposed to just moan at them on Skype. Is that how you pay them? Basically. Drink every year. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I'm going to say that's not a not a great business model. But <laughs> yeah. I think it is for it's, Will. Yeah, it <laughs> it's for working. Us. It's for us. And Emily. Yeah, I'm Emily Short. I'm with Spirit AI. We're doing conversation middleware for games, but uh, that comes out of a long line of me doing AI design and writing around how characters can be more interactive and more fun to play with. I thought it was it was um, super interesting that in your bio it's Emily Short Interactive Fiction, mm -hmm. and then you're doing three AI talks this year, which isn't what most people would assume. Right, because I, I mean I I have come to AI out of interactive fiction. That really has been my trajectory, and it's because. I'm really interested in how to give the player narrative agency and a strong sense of like, I did something and the game noticed that and it changed everything that came after. And at a certain point, if you want to get a lot of fidelity to the choices that the player has made, you need more content than a human being is going to be able to make. So that's where the systems come in. That's where you know you need the AI to recombine the output in order to, to give that kind of quality of experience. We've already talked uh, on, the, on the show yesterday, we had uh, two very, very different guests on at the same time. Uh, we had Brendan Green, player unknown, uh, talking about stories in his game which arise from systems inside the game. And we had um, a guy from Guatemala who was talking about using wrestling narratives, like very plotted nice. sort of arcs <laughs> uh -huh. across video games. Um, strikes me that as a medium, um, video games, loads of different types of story, and it feels like you're right at the forefront of another. Right. I mean, what we're trying to do is something that does have the capacity to be fairly authored. Like, you can have, you know, this is the shape of story that I want to tell, but within that, I'm going to really let the player um, enact a particular personality or develop relationships with particular characters and have that play out in a meaningful way in the rest of the story. Um, so just, like, within that space, give something that feels much more personalized to the person who's playing it. What makes stories in games special? Wow, we do oh, not so have yeah. nearly enough time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think uh, I agree. That's a much too broad a question. But what makes stories in games special above stories in other mediums? 
Well, I think there are a couple of things. I mean, one from from the authoring point of view, which is probably not actually how you intended me to answer the question, but but I love writing for games because it feels like I'm able to explore the meaning space of that story much more extensively. If I have to commit to, you know, one set of character actions and one set of choices, then I'm not seeing the whole rest of that world. So being able to build out something that is kind of more complete in those ways and like explore like, what if the character goes this way? What if they go that way? What else is there around them? Um, it's just a much kind of richer kind of creation. I wonder about. I wonder how much writing in video games is sleight of hand and allowing the player to project onto your words things that are in their head um, and infer them, uh, infer from from your words things that are not necessarily written. Yeah, totally. I mean, I went to a really good talk. Were you, were you in Lee, Lee Alexander's talk? Because you got a shout-out. Unfortunately, no. I, I yeah, wish, I, I wish I'd been able there. to go, but I, I unfortunately not. So. Yeah, That's awesome. I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. Cool. but that was, um, uh, I mean, I think that was a really good, 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 good example of it, because what she, what she had there was such, like, um, almost a like tweet-like. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and she, with the, like, she had to, to just infer so much and she inferred so deeply about like a very um, the whole talk was all about uh, is on the advocacy track and it's all about um, like uh, her sort of uh, the way that um, it's all like uh, feminism and like just the way that the role of um, the role of the queens and the course and whatever and like but it just the, it, she, I think the talk was masterful so she was talking about was uh, Reigns Her Majesty Reigns Her Majesty yeah. that, that's, that's right and it was um, yeah but I think that was just a really really good example of how through very 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 short um, sort of encapsulated um, things that you may you could uh, pick up in any particular order like, a bit like No Man's Sky in that sense I guess but just have these th- thematic through lines mm-hmm. that can just sort of you know put things in your, in your head because in those ways you're working sort of with an extra writer the player is writing their own narrative as well and you're giving them these little nuggets of story that they are threading together and creating their own story do you have that do you have to think about that yeah i think you definitely i think that's why i think one of the things i enjoy the most and i think i'm probably best at is just providing that that like the the background layer for them to have those thoughts in i mean on when i worked on alien isolation i was responsible for like the um the Sikhs and corporations uh, backstory and a lot of the, like, the the things that the player would hear as they were exploring things that they'd, they'd see in some of the level design as well and um, I think that my job is just putting them in the right place and just give, creating the right feeling and then the, the actual active gameplay that they're, that they're they're playing and experiencing is very much like their own thing um, and their moment to moment experiences with say, with, the, with the systemic AI of the alien and the androids and such. We have a lot of listeners on the show back in uh, London who don't play video games and just mm. listen to us because they're sort of tangentially, <laughs> yeah, maybe, or, or just <laughs> sort of uh, curious about what the mm. medium is. We got mm. on an arts radio station, the best radio station in the world, Resonance 104.4 FM. <laughs> If you could recommend to those listeners some uh, story-based video games to look at, what would you recommend? Wow. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, it really, it, it kind of varies with how they want to engage with it, mm. but I think um, Kentucky Route Zero is really beautiful. It's not, not complete yet, but the kind of, the the atmosphere, the setting, the feeling that that evokes is so kind of compelling in itself. Um there are lots of, I mean, kind of, it would kind of depend on how much they're willing to, to get into the challenge mm-hmm. side of things. Um, but uh, just kind of thinking of um, some also of like Inkle's work, especially 80 Days, yeah. I think is a very, um, something that you can really present to people who are not coming out of the game background at all because it is taking, you know, sort of classic literature and then um, opening it up to to choices, but in a way that is very accessible and very understandable, and you know, still feels a bit writerly. But because you are making these choices of here's where I'm going to travel and this is what I'm going to do, um, you can really kind of um, experience the game-like aspect of that in a way that clearly still fits into the narrative function. And do you think there's a possibility that your work um, in producing these new type mm-hmm. of stories, you described it as narrative middleware, is that right? Uh, conversation, conversation middleware, middleware yeah. So beautiful. Right, so, so what we're building is um, an engine that drives the character's choices and their responses to your input, 
based on kind of what is going on in the narrative. Um, so, you know, you might be in a story situation where a character needs you to do something for them, um, but also kind of their model of the social relationship that they have with you. So they might change how they make requests of you depending on whether they like you or not. Um, and that's trying to get at something that is kind of a step beyond what we can actually just author with human authors. Mm. But um, where I'm going with that is trying to get the sense, like I love it when the, it seems like you're interacting with a character that is noticing you back, uh -huh. um, that is capable of having kind of opinions of you and emotions about you. Mm. Um, and that's a really cool experience. And a lot of games can evoke that only occasionally and only, you know, sometimes through writing, sometimes through smoke and mirrors, sometimes through just the right bit of animation or like leaving something to the player's imagination. Sometimes we'll, we'll pull it off, but I'd like to see that happening more consistently. And that's what we're trying to drive towards. And at that point, when you have an engine like that, that allows you to do that is the person working with that engine a writer anymore or do they need a different skill set uh it is it is still writing but it's writing where you're thinking about kind of the scope of possibilities mm. rather than you know the exact words are going to be xyz but i think actually that's not i mean that's that's kind of where a lot of writers are starting from anyway so you're thinking of like i've got a scene in mind um there's going to be a big choice in this scene um i want this character to like blow up at you at some point in the story and there are these kinds of islands of like these are the beats that i want to hit somewhere and like having a, an engine where you can say like please improvise mm -hmm. and reach these beats somehow and i don't really care how um that's you know that's what the the ai is doing for you it's it's finding moments when the player seems to be um getting stuck and have the ai hint find places where the character the player is not driving things forward and and then you know sort of move the story on but when the player is really engaged in exploring and driving the story themselves then you know kind of let them do that too fantastic i feel like i've dominated this conversation a lot and I'm, i think we're almost out of time <laughs> um, uh, well, i just wanted to um ask Emily, what were the three talks that you were giving? Mm. Right, okay, so um, first one in the morning was a talk on procedural dialogue, so actually just like what the, the character engine we were just talking about. Um, second one was a, a talk called um, The Simplest Trick in the Book, which is just like five minutes each from different devs about like suggested things to do, and that was actually about kind of ca like my piece was about categorizing player and character actions and exactly the way I was just talking about, like can you recognize when somebody's progressing versus idling in the game? Um, and then the last one was a rant. Um, in the rant session, they always encourage you to kind of fly off the handle as much as possible and, and be as minimally nuanced as you can. Um, but the rant was about um, questions that people ask of AI developers and how we need to get better at uh, expressing nuance when we answer those questions because we tend to get asked questions like, can your AI experience emotions? Like, well, it has a sadness setting. Is that what you mean? I don't think that is what you mean. Um, so kind of our responsibility to to explain to the public better what it is we're doing and, and kind of, um, so that was, it goes on at some length with me putting up ridiculous slides, but that's that's what rant sessions are like. Yeah, um, so you've done all your talks now. Yes, thank God. Uh, what are you looking forward to uh, for the rest of the week? Well, I've got, so we now, Spirit AI also has a booth, um, so I'm mostly at the booth for the next couple of days, um, but, uh, I've got some, also some wonderful times lined up um, with kind of lunches and dinners with other devs that are working in similar spaces, and this is kind of an opportunity to just sit down socially and talk through the kinds of things that we're doing, which is really um, inspiring. So. What about you, Will? What are you up to the rest of the week? I've, just, uh, I've probably done all the big meetings, so it's just um, the, going to see uh, just all the narrative um, se sessions. I mean, the biggest ones I really want to see was the uh, was Lee's one and also um, the Uncharted one, which was excellent. But there's, yeah, there's plenty of other good stuff coming up, so I'm quite looking forward to it. And you're singing with us on um, Obviously, thinking a lot about what I'm going to sing. <laughs> um, there's some few risky ones that, mm -hmm. you know, there's going to be a big crowd, that, uh, you know, there's going to be high pressure, but I think, I think I'm up to it. We should point out that Will is one of our Marioki songwriters, uh, right, the, okay. author, the author of, of for example, uh, Sweet Caroline about Sweet Ken Levine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Thank you both so much for coming on the on the show. Uh, have a good rest of the week. Thank you very much. We are One Life Left live at GDC 2018. It's Wednesday. Halfway through the week. still Wednesday and it's still 2018. I'm really struggling because I got into GDC uh, two days early this year mm. on Friday and it has really yeah. set me, because I think it's maybe like Monday of next week yeah. by now, I'm exhausted. 
But, but do you know what? keeping spirits yes, up. Yes, and, and we've brilliant. got some great new guests on the sofa now. We are joined by Andrew and is it Jenny or Jennifer? Jenny would be nice. Jenny. Hi. Uh, <laughs> Andrew, would you like to uh, just introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers? Uh, what do you do? Yeah, um, my name is Andrew Barron. I'm the director of design at Bohemian Interactive Simulations, and we basically take a first-person shooter video game engine and we turn it into a real-life military simulator that's used to train thousands of soldiers around the world, including in the UK. Wow. Wow, that's serious business. It is. It's serious gaming. And that's, it's not, that's what people, not what people think when they you know, hear, oh, One Life Left, they've gone out to a games conference. <laughs> yeah. They'll be playing a bit of Flappy Bird, and uh, they'll probably be chatting <laughs> to the person who made Minecraft. As I understand, that's what games are. Um, sorry, you should introduce yourself as well, and then we can mix up. I was actually wondering, we were just sitting over there, and we were wondering if, if you mixed us together by, no, by accident. You, or you guys pick your own you slots, so this oh, is, you know, yeah. it was meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was meant to be, because I know your work, I know mm. Bohemian Interactive. Um, I'm the game design lead from Opaque Space. Opaque Space is a Melbourne-based company. We make video games, and we happen to make video games that are used by NASA to train astronauts. So, so this is the training section. But not space marines. So. <laughs> <laughs> not direct competition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what are the challenges, I guess this is a question to both of you, in adapting video game technology to actually teach humans real skills and, you know, high-pressure skills as well? Well, I mean, we actually make training tools that are then used by trainers to build the actual training itself. So we make essentially like an easy to use level editor uh, and a set of features that military trainers then use to put together uh, scenarios to train their soldiers for different things. Um, so we don't, we don't have levels, we don't have, uh, we don't have plot, but we do have a ton of features. Mm -hmm. And for us, the features are, you know, it varies from everything from, you know, you can use the turn signals on a, uh, on a, a truck to, you know, you have to do a very specific procedure before you can fire a, a rocket, for example. Right, and, and getting those absolutely spot on is, is vital. That's your business, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we most everything we do is directly funded by some military customer. Mm -hmm. uh, so usually we will have some contract to add some features into the game, mm -hmm. and then we'll have uh, like a, a subject matter expert mm -hmm. uh, on the customer side that helps us make sure that we get the, the details accurate. The difference between uh, a video game simu simulation and a real-life simulation is generally uh, the haptic problem here mm. of how do you address the, you know, the difference between using a controller, if that's how these things are mm. used, and, and, and make the, the person controlling this feel like they're learning something, because presumably the interface is very, very different. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a interesting misconception you have there. We don't actually train people how to shoot rifles using sure. a mouse and keyboard. Mm -hmm. uh, we make we train people how to think. So mm -hmm. we do cognitive training. It's right. how to think training or how to work together as a team. Mm -hmm. So we provide an environment that a team of soldiers can get into uh -huh. and then they can practice their procedures and their communications and then they can review what they did afterwards see. to see where they made mistakes. But is there, is there weaponry in these games and is there the act of firing inside that Oh space? yeah, I mean it's like a typical first person shooter, right, you okay. click with the mouse. Um, but our software can also be deployed in other hardware setups, mm -hmm. so for example, um, you know, you've been in an arcade and shot a gun at a screen, mm -hmm. like you can hook up a gun to our software and then use our software at the foundation, but actually train marksmanship okay. or small arms uh, firing. Okay. Same questions, Jenny. Just, <laughs> just go. Look, are you going to be the cool one here? I'm going to be the esoteric one. <laughs> you only work with NASA. Yeah, it's not cool at all. I'm definitely going to be the esoteric one here because our work is, um, is a little different because we were specifically picked up by NASA because we approach... Um, approach space <laughs> like game designers like properly with narrative and everything involved um, that was really surprising to me at the very least when um, when this relationship happened because it's a funny story actually we um, we had a prototype tech demo of the game Earthlight out there on reddit which kind of went like semi-viral in space reddit and NASA saw it and all of a sudden it was an ask me anything NASA thread in our thing. Wow. It was crazy. And then we're like, hey, you do cool stuff. We should work together. And now we do that. Okay. I, I, what is the game? Then? Uh, okay. So it's called Earthlight. Mm -hmm. 
Um, there is a consumer version of it, uh, of parts of what NASA uses for training out there on Viveport, so it's mm -hmm. VR. Mm -hmm. um, but we do have parts of Earthside or, or the Earthside franchise that are uh, th that are other applications. I can't talk too much about it, that's why I'm sure, kind of dancing please. around it a little bit at the moment. <coughs> but essentially, um, that relationship then started and NASA was specifically interested in uh, improving training by using game design theory. So we talk about narrative design and we talk about how we can um, work with emotional engagement and we talk about how uh, how games engage with people when they learn because that's what games uh, at its core, you know, are. We learn uh, systems and complex uh, stories and complex skills even through, through, through uh, games. So that's what we bring to their work, to their expertise in simulation. It's pretty fun. Wow. <laughs> It must have been quite surreal, like suddenly making this. It is every connection. day, actually. Yeah, <laughs> I wake yeah. up and I'm like, "Wow, I work with NASA, really." <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. Do you think that this is uh, both valuable in the sense that it's uh, it's teaching people using video game techniques, but do you think it's also maybe making NASA a little bit cooler? Like, <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, you know, it's getting people involved and interested in, Absolutely. in space. I mean, to me, there's nothing cooler than NASA. Yeah, yeah. But I'm also really close, so, so I'd be goes, biased. Goes um, well. Look, I, I think I think NASA um, is just starting to to find those connections, and because it's, you know government entities sometimes move a little bit slower than uh, than other places. He's sometimes. just laughing because <laughs> <laughs> you know it's, yeah. you know the pain. So you know it, it takes a little time until um, until they pick up on these things, but. What a lot of people don't know is NASA has been working with VR for the last, what, 25 years or something? They have labs with VR headsets that you can't even imagine. But now, you know, there's a consumer version and it's a lot cheaper and um, they're looking into what they can do with our knowledge in our field and with that new consumer technology. So that's really exciting. But I also think um, we get a lot out of it on our end because one of my, my dreams is to bring part of that work that we do with them back to the consumers. So for example, um, there is something in, in astronauts that, that we call the overview effect, if you've ever heard of that before. The overview effect is like a cognitive shift in people who have been to space, who have seen Earth from, <laughs> from orbit and who have uh, had a cognitive shift in their ability to see uh, the planet and humanity and feel connected to all of us as a species because we have just holding, holding, holding onto this ball of mud in the space as the only living creatures where, wherever. And um, I want to bring these principles back to the consumer and I want to bring that back to the people who play video games. So I want these two spaces to kind of cross feed. And that's my mission. That's fantastic. <laughs> Sorry, uh, again, I'm the esoteric one here. So... <laughs> so you were talking at GDC. You talked today, didn't you? I talked yesterday. Yesterday, actually. yes. I've lost track of time. <laughs> oh, clearly. Yeah. Need the overview. <laughs> what was your uh, What was your talk? Uh, my talk was at the Narrative Summit, actually, even though we don't have any narration in our game. Uh, <laughs> but it was about uh, the title was "Depiction of War in Games: Can You Do Better?" So it was comparing uh, actual war and actual military training to uh, how it's depicted in games. I, that was sort of a question I wanted to ask. So you were saying that you learn a lot from uh, from NASA um, about uh, things that you can add to your games and things how you could make a great experience for a consumer. Mm. Is there anything that you learn from the training and the, uh, from the soldiers that are using your games? Anything that you learn about uh, game development or game design that you can bring? Um, well, I was actually in the military as well myself. Um, so I bring that experience, but uh, having worked with different subject matter experts and different uh, military experts uh, on these different projects, you, you, you see like all the different aspects of, of the military and, and war and, and the things that they do. Uh, and, and basically, like I said before, all our, our roadmap and our, our features is driven by these experts, really. Uh, so we basically... <laughs> Uh, we, when we try to do it ourselves, we're not nearly as successful as when we really listen to to our main users. And I think it's it's you know applicable to consumer market as well in a lot of ways. And and with your uh, with the talk, what was the conclusion? 
can we do better? Oh, I want to know. Not do it. I was like, what? I don't want to see it. Well, it wouldn't be a very fun talk if I just said no. No. <laughs> Any questions? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, well, I think that there's uh, a lot of gamers are more mature now, and a lot of game developers are also bringing uh, mature uh, storytelling techniques uh, to the medium and, and bringing it to a higher sort of level of an art form. And I think we can do the same with uh, how we treat war uh, as well. Instead of it always being like a, a sort of teenage power fantasy, we can bring some sort of serious, uh, serious uh, topics to the table in, in the way that we discuss it as well. How do you feel about the games that you know essentially profit from war? Uh, well, they don't profit from war. They profit from uh, from players and from mm -hmm. what players are interested in. But it's you talk really about war. teenage power fantasy, like treating games uh, games that treat that sort of subject matter in a lighter fashion than um, other games like Armour. Yeah, uh, I mean, especially after having gone to war myself, mm -hmm. I really have a hard time getting into sort of the, I guess, really more sort of pornographic uh, mm -hmm. portrayals of violence, not just in video games, but also in, in movies and, it's and TV shows. It's certainly not limited to, to our medium, but then our medium is the only one where you theoretically get to live that and make those decisions. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, there's some level of disconnect of, you know, between what it is, but, but there's certainly some games that have tried to really um, leverage that, that power that video games have and, and put you into a role that you wouldn't otherwise uh, think about. So one of the games that I used as an example uh, during my talk is a game where you play as a civilian in the middle of a war, and your your goal is just to survive uh, through the war. With What's your, that with your, this war of mine. This war of mine. Thank you. Yes, ah. exactly. Of course. German developer. Sorry, I'm German. I'm like, <laughs> yes. yay! Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was an incredible game. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a uh, uh, it, you know, it, it's it's an interesting uh, take on the subject, basically. Mm. I find I find like what you're doing fascinating. Especially when you said, you know, that I, I made an assumption that was incorrect, that the, mm. the simulations, simulation software is designed to uh, look more tactically how you behave, and, and is that right? Well, no, you're, you're, you're describing... I'm getting um, it on the second time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, well, there's, I guess, in training and simulations, there's different terms, um, and you might be referring to, like, procedural training, where you learn how a specific procedure uh -huh. is done, like mm. how... An example might be in a flight simulator where you have to flip the right switches in order to sure. turn on the engine. Um, and that's something we do a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. But the main thing we focus on is, is cognitive training and collective training. Mm -hmm. So how do you think and work together as a team, basically? Right. And when you said that, I thought, that's super interesting. I can imagine simulating that. But can video games uh, really simulate the sort of stress moments of making those decisions in a combat situation? I mean... To, a, to an extent, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing we say is, is with simulations, it never replaces uh, live training, which is really the gold standard. That's as close as you can get to, to actual war, is when you go out in the field, you get dirty, mm -hmm. you get tired, you get stressed, and you've got you know, uh, blanks you know, going off mm -hmm. around you, you've got noise. Um, but you can still get, you can prepare people for their live training. You can run them through different situations in the simulator first before they go out and do it in the next level of training. Mm. That's and how we treat it too. Um, yeah, exactly. We try, yes. I feel like every single person in the simulation industry is kind of keep, keep iterating this part that we're not trying to uh, replace yeah, analog training because that would be crazy. But yeah. um, what's so awesome about what we do is we video games can do more than physical simulation. We can mm. put training wheels on you. Yes. We can have difficulty curves, yeah. you know, yeah. we can ease you into something or even, you know, let's say I want to teach you how to fly a vehicle or, you know, do something like that. I can give you different angles that you would not have in a real simulation. The cool part about video games is that we can do more mm -hmm. and then we still need analog training for the real deal. But yeah, um, you, you would be so much more prepared to go into analog training if you had, uh, you know, an ease in, for example, that yeah. doesn't require every single physical skill that you need to actually do the thing. Yeah, I was watching a, uh, a video from like the, the 40s of some very early simulation that was done by the RAF actually, and they were training pilots how to uh, land a plane through instrumentation, so in the night when you can't see what's going on. And so they just locked them inside of like a you know metal, <laughs> enclosed metal 
tube and they had a radio and they were and they had fake instruments in there and then they would practice you know aligning you know there's sort of primitive primitive navigation instruments but they were practicing how to use these and to do that in real life is very dangerous to land a plane at night just by your instruments you don't want to do that the first time, you know, <laughs> the first time you ever do that, yeah, you don't sure. want it to be in See, real life. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and space, of course, can be just as deadly, if not more so. So you don't want it to be the first time that you do some procedure is when you're, you know, actually there. And also expensive. Yes. So, so true. So, you know, absolutely. if you can create a, a space to do this in. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm sure it's, for astronauts, they must spend millions of dollars to train. Fighter pilots, for example, it, it's like 40 40 million dollars to train one of them so you can afford excuse me uh, a lot of simulation and it it dropped it cuts cost yeah yeah jenny so you were you were doing some talks yes this week so you've done a couple already (laughs) i've gone two and i have two more to go when it was a really intense day i had my two really i really cared about these two ones so in the morning i had uh my ux summit talk my first solo gdc talk uh, called Game Design is Like a Magic Trick, <laughs> which um, is based on a viral Twitter thread that happened, that I started somehow, uh, about, whatever, 10 months ago or something, where I asked the games industry about hidden game design mechanics or hidden game design techniques um, to get uh, players to feel a certain way or to nudge them a certain uh, into a certain direction. And it went super, super viral and crazy, and all of a sudden, all kinds of awesome people like Ken Levine and and uh, the Firewatch folks and like Ashraf Ismail from uh, from Assassin's Creed was like everyone chimed in and uh, shared their techniques, and it was super overwhelming and awesome, and it also kind of burst everyone's bubble about how game design works because sometimes we trick people into thinking certain way or we make things a little bit more accessible for them by lying about certain so, uh, techniques. So you just printed out this thread and read it out for your GDC talk? <laughs> no. <laughs> I picked uh, I picked my favorite examples from them that I thought were the, the clever ones or um, yeah, specifically outrageous. Yeah. Um, and I talked to the developers and they were amazing and worked they worked with me um, to to give some in-depth information on all of these uh, these techniques. So I filled an entire hour with um, several games and techniques from really awesome out there game directors people on how their games work and it was really really fun. The room was packed. We couldn't fit everyone. It was everyone was just freaking out about um, about this <sighs> this topic because I feel like it was kind of really well known among game designers, but uh, I'm not sure how well the games, um, uh, the industry overall, and our players were aware that this is totally integral to what we do, and sometimes we're not entirely honest about how. The systems function and the definitely hood. some people, uh, some players replying to those things, going, "This is outrageous! You're tricking me! Like, yes. it's disgusting! Like, I, I feel let discussion. down by people!" Like, <laughs> I had very difficult like, discussions with people on Twitter yeah. about it, but yeah, um, I thought it was super valuable for the for other game designers and for other game developers. And um, you know, we we rarely get get to talk that in depth about how our systems work and how we develop them. So I thought it was uh, it was a great development towards being more open about um, how we make games and so how that, we... That's one of your talks. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> so was one. Quickly, <laughs> talks quickly. two, three, and four. Okay. The other one uh, was um, a panel mm-hmm. in the VRDC uh, Summit where we talked with Boeing and NASA on a panel about our work. But you already know all about that. Of course, we're, we're done with that. <laughs> Tomorrow I have one on um, about mental health and working in video games, trying to succeed through making one of the hardest things happen that you can make happen. Yeah, fantastic. We had a, a doctor on the show today uh, to talk to us about that, so that's done as Excellent. well. Excellent. Who was that, if I may ask? Before. It was uh, Jennifer Hazel. Ha! Ah, she's from Australia. She's great. <laughs> <laughs> she told us a joke. Yeah. Uh, it was... It was fun. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's good. It I'm German. We don't we don't do jokes. Right. <laughs> and talk four. Talk four is uh, more roundtable. I'm the chair of the Women Games Special Interest Group from the IGDA. 
So we're just talking about how to move beyond women in games 101 and hey, we exist. <laughs> so, towards so, hey, we can also do things. You, you feel like that's done now. The we exist thing is that. I, I, like, I'm sometimes I'm not sure if we're done with that discussion yet, no. but I would love to move beyond that. It would be nice to go. Be good. <laughs> um, guys, thank you both. So we could talk for. Yeah, I'm about very this. sad to be uh, saying that we have to wrap this but because this is absolutely fascinating. But thank you so much. Hope thank you both have us. a great rest of your week. Thank you. You too. You too. Thanks very much. Thank you. High five. Nice work. <laughs> <laughs>